Good morning, church. It's great to see you here. As Jen said, my name is Rhiannon. I'm one of the team here. And we're just carrying on today, looking at this kind of mini-series that we started with the youth takeover a couple of weeks ago. And we've called it The Power of Everyone. And I'm really excited about sharing about this today because when I think about the power of everyone and preparing for it, I kind of feel a little bit like I've spent my whole life preparing for this because what I want to share today is some of the things that I've really had to learn on the journey um, of my walk with Jesus. And, um, you know, sometimes people think, how long does it take you to prepare a sermon? And, And I remember my dad saying he asked one of his old friends how long it took him and they said about 70 years which was about as old as the guy was so sometimes things take a long time to form and I'm excited about talking about the power of everyone but the first thing that I want to say is let's not minimize the power of everyone because we live in a society at the moment that we like to kind of do things together social media growing things organically and all that kind of thing and we can be mistaken for thinking that the power of everyone is just a nice way to get together and have a little community time and pat each other on the back and hey if we're feeling really good maybe we'll tack on a little cause to that and we'll say why don't we unite and we'll look at this um, little cause together And, and we can think that that is what the power of everyone is but it's not When we're looking at the context of the church here, I want to talk to you a little bit more about really what the power of everyone is about. Because here's the key. The power of everyone is one of God's methods for reaching the whole world. And we can look at the Bible. And the thing when you're looking at a Bible, it's always good to take um, a bit of a step back when you're studying the Bible and to to look at it uh, with a a bit of a different perspective. And when we look at the Bible, there's these things that run all the way through the Bible called narratives. And so people will talk to you about this redemption narrative that runs right the way through the Old Testament and into the New Testament. And that's what's amazing about the Bible, 66 books, there's 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, and yet somehow these narratives, they all run together, written by different people in different places, different languages, and yet they hold and mesh together, which is why the Bible is just an incredible book, one of the many reasons. But one of the narratives that runs all the way through the Bible, I believe, is the power of everyone. See, if we go back to the Old Testament We see that God works through the nation of Israel. And we see that what God was trying to do in the Old Testament was form for himself a nation. A nation that would then be able to display to other nations the glory of the true God, not a false God. That other nations would be able to look on and say, who is your God? And that's what we see all the way through the Old Testament. That God actually was interested in the power of everyone right in the Old Testament. Now, you could turn to me and say, well, what about people like Abraham that God called? Well, God called Abraham because he was going to be what? A father to many nations. He didn't call Abraham to be a lone ranger. God called Moses to go and lead his people out of Egypt. He called Moses to go and serve the people. God called David. Well, David seemed to be on his own, um, you know, with sheep and all that kind of stuff. But actually, when you read the story of David, David mustered men around him. In Ziklag 1 Samuel 30, we see that, that David just kind of got his men around him. And each person was called to, to be an individual, yes, but an individual to be part of the people of God in the Old Testament. I've put in your Bibles a verse from Jeremiah 32 that says this, I will surely gather them from all the lands where I banish them in my furious anger and great wrath. I will bring them back to this place and let them live in safety. 
They will be my people and I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me and that all will then go well for them and for their children after them. I'll make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them. And he goes on to say, I will inspire them to fear me so they'll never turn away from me and I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. So right there, this is not a new thing. This is not a 21st century thing. This has been a narrative right the way through the Bible that God works through a group of people. We fast forward into the New Testament and what do we find in the New Testament? God works through the church. The church. Ephesians is a book all about the church. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. You want to read a book that helps you understand a little bit about what's God's plan for this world, read the book of Ephesians. And buried in Ephesians 3.10, we find this verse that says this. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus. So the people, that everyone that's in the New Testament is the church because now what's happened is the word of God is available not just to Jews but to Gentiles too and the vehicle that God chooses to work through is the church. And hey, how many of you know where you are this morning? Not many. You're in church. You're in church and right in Ephesians it says, through the church, I'm afraid that's you. You don't look very happy about it, but you, through the church, God has chosen to get this mystery of him that people can't understand and he's chosen to use you and he's chosen to use me as the vehicle, as the power of everyone to communicate to a lost and dying world that there's hope, that God is for them, that he's not against them and it's you and I that are that power of everyone. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're my everyone. You're my everyone. Some of you are like, I hate that kind of thing. Well, if you'd responded better, I wouldn't have asked you to do that in the first place. There we go. But you are the everyone that we're talking about. You are the everyone. So we've got to get away from feeling like everyone is just a kind of a, a nice sentiment. Because when I look at my Bible, I don't know about your Bible, but I read the powerful story of how God brings people together for purpose. And you know, when you think about the church, the church gets me so excited because it is God's plan for this world. And you and I get to be a part of this plan that is massive. I get to be a part of something that is beyond my lifetime. You know, sometimes people say to you, what are you saving for your kids and your pension and all that kind of stuff? Well, I tell you what I want to do. I want to leave a legacy that's not just going to bless my kids, but it's going to bless my kids, 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 because I want to leave a legacy of faith. I want them to see that actually we've planted ourselves in the house of God. And when you plant yourself here, then you get to be part of something massive. That is the narrative of the, in the Bible about the power of everyone. Let's not just put it down to a little kind of bring and share community fellowship supper. It's way more than that. And it's so exciting to be part of. You and I are the church. And the, the church is referred to in the Bible in a many beautiful ways. One of the ways that it's referred to, and we've sung about it today, is the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. And, and, and Christ is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. Jesus is totally obsessed with his church. If Jesus is obsessed with his church, then I think we should be. He's totally obsessed with his church. He's coming back for his church. 
And another example that's used is not just the bride of Christ, but in 1 Corinthians 12, if you want to turn to it in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 onwards, the church is referred to as a body with Christ the head and the church the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, we find this. I'm just going just gonna to read it to you. Just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Therefore, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you, or the head say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, the parts that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts we think less honorable we treat with special honor. The parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, whilst our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers. But if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. An incredible image of what everyone looks like in the church. And I don't know about you, when I read this, I always think about the game, Would You Rather? Have you ever played that game? The 9.30 crowd really hadn't played that game. So, hey, would you rather, they looked at me like I was on another planet. Would you rather is one of these really cheesy icebreaker games. Now, personally, I'm not a fan of the icebreaker because I enjoy chatting. And it's a bit like when you go bowling, you're in the middle of a conversation and someone's like, it's your turn, it's your turn. I can't stand that kind of stuff. When I'm in the flow, I just like to chat. So icebreakers I find a bit irritating. But would you rather is a classic icebreaker. And the idea is that you go to people and you say, I've got a question for you. Would you rather X or would you rather Y? And it's supposed to reveal stuff about your inner whatever, I guess. But one of the things that um, I always think about is this game when I read this scripture in 1 Corinthians, because I always think of some of the things that I used to get asked at school and things. And one of the ones would be, would you rather have a head the size of a pea and a normal sized body, or would you rather have a normal sized head and a body the size of a pea? I mean, these are stuff you have to wrestle with if you're going to flourish in life, aren't they? They really kind of get, get you right there. Um, but the other one that I always think about, and it comes straight to my mind, and now it's so embedded, whenever I read this, I see this, is would you rather have legs for arms or arms for legs? Have you, have you ever thought about that? If you haven't, can I suggest heavily that you go away and spend some time praying about the answer to this question? Would you rather have legs for arms or arms for legs? But whenever I read that, because Paul paints this ridiculous picture of a body that is just an eye or a body that is just an ear and then says, if that is the way it is, where's the body? If all we've got is an ear or all we've got is an eye and it, it just reminds me of this game, would you rather? So we're just going to take that 
a little bit today, and I'm just going to ask you some questions, some would-you-rather statements, if you like, to just maybe get you to think a little bit about what does the body of Christ and the power of everyone look like practically? What does that look like for me? How can I become involved in it? And I want to challenge you a little bit because some of the statements that I'm going to ask seem to have an obvious answer. You know, it's like when you ask kids in kids' church, what's the answer to something? And they always go, Jesus, because you can't go far wrong with saying Jesus. Some of these questions that I've got for you today, the answer might seem obvious, but I don't want you to answer what is right in your head. I want you to be honest with yourself and say, but what are my actions actually living out? What is my heart saying the answer to this question is? So the first would you rather statement is this. Would you rather be self-made or God-made? Would you rather be self-made or God-made? See, there's a lot of wisdom that we can get from in the world. And when we say the world, we just mean people that are outside of the church, people that haven't yet come into to relationship with Jesus. And, and there's some wisdom that's in the world that's good. And there's some that's twisted and isn't, I believe, quite what the Bible wants us to live by. And one of the things that we can be told is that you and I should be self-made men and women. I don't know how many of you enjoy Dragon's Den. I never know whether I, Simon loves it, I never know whether I hate it or love it because I sit there and I think, you've invested how much of your money in that? Like, do you not have any friends that look at you and go, that is a rubbish idea? How have you got this far along doing this kind of crazy thing? But the thing that we elevate about the dragons, the guys that give out the money, is that they are self-made men and women. You know, they've worked up from the bottom. They've, they've done this. They've done that. And, and our world really elevates that as a model for life. And so our model for how we succeed in life is that we set a goal, we look at our kind of giftings and things, and we think, I'm good in that, I'm going to go for it. It's not about other people, which to some degree perhaps is true. We don't want to be comparing with other people. So I'm going to go for this goal, and I'm going to go for it at the expense of other people, at the expense of the things around me, because, hey, I've got to reach my potential, and I've got to be successful. And, and we start to have this self-made attitude to life. And let me say this to you. Let's not fool ourselves into thinking that's not partly in us as well. Because often we can take things and we can think, well, that sounds okay. Hey, I've got to be the best me I can possibly be. I'm going to be the best version of me. And, 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 and we can put ourselves in this place where we've got to make it. And our definition of success is that we reach our goals and we reach our potential. But the problem with thinking like that is, is what it produces, and one of the things when you're thinking in life, is this a biblical way to think of things? Is this a godly way? Or is this kind of a not so great way? Is to let things in your head run to its logical conclusion. There's a phrase that says, whatever you root, you will fruit. So when you're thinking, is this a good way to work through life, this self-made way? Well, let's see what it fruits. Because actually, if you think that you're all about yourself and it's about you running your race and, and it's not about anyone else and it's not about comparing and looking at other people and working together, it's about you reaching your potential and you've got so much potential and you've got to reach it, then what happens when we look at other people is maybe we think, well, they're not doing so good. They must be lazy. We start looking around going, well, they haven't achieved anything, so obviously they are just not really working for things. And we become slightly judgmental. We become slightly cynical. We become dismissive of people. We don't bear in mind people's context. We don't bear in mind their gifting. We don't bear in mind anything. We just say, well, they're not thriving. And we do it because it makes us feel better about ourselves. Because the truth is, if we're trying to be self-made, it's a vulnerable and lonely place. 
because the only person that's responsible for anything in our lives is us. And it just feels overwhelming because how many of you know we haven't got it all sorted? We can't do it all. And so what happens is we set ourselves these little goals in life because we don't want to set ourselves a massive goal because we can't achieve it. And who wants to be set up for a failure? So, so we set ourselves small goals and we try and achieve them. And all the while we just feel slightly inadequate because we look around people and either they're doing great or they're not doing so well and we're judging ourselves against other people and, and we just feel less than. But the thing about being God-made is that the, the goals are totally changed. The circumstances totally change. See, rather than us having to run our own little race, we're, we're part of something bigger. So rather than our goals being small, our goals can become massive because look around you, you're our everyone, you're my everyone. And so your goals become my goals and my world gets way bigger, way more exciting because that's how we were supposed to function. Romans 12 verse 4 to 6 says this in the message, in this way we are like the various parts of a human body. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole not the other way round. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. I was reading some of the commentaries around 1 Corinthians and William Barclay says this, here is the supreme glory of the Christian man. He is part of the body of Christ upon earth. See, when we shift from being self-made to God-made, let me tell you what the pinnacle of success in your life looks like. It looks like being sat on your seat now in the church, in the house of God. This is the pinnacle of our lives, to be the body of Christ here on earth. You might not feel like it. You might not look like it. You might not feel like there's anything about that that's the pinnacle of anything. But success is not about achieving our little goals we've set. Success in a God way is about being part of something bigger. And the pinnacle of glory for mankind is that we get to be part of this body of Christ. We get to be part of the everyone that God has had in mind for thousands of years. We get to be part of the church that's going to outlast us. Bible says he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We are giving our lives to something that's going to outlast us, outlast any generation we can think of because that is the beauty and the genius of being God made. We're not having small little goals. We've got big goals. We've got goals that are achievable because we're harnessing the power of everyone through Jesus. When I was on maternity leave, I know everyone's really different in the way that they approach maternity leave. I loved it, but my world shrank. And I remember Cy getting back from work one day, and um, he works in software, and he's, he's saying, oh, I've been doing this thing for this really big client and, you know, things that you would, you'd have heard of the client. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. And he said, oh, how's your day been? I said, oh, it's been brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I went to Stir, which is our local cafe, and... Um, you know when you have that dilemma of do you have a chocolate brownie or a flapjack? I said, they're doing a chocolate flapjack now, so I don't have to choose. I said, it's just amazing. And he looked at me, and I could see him thinking, where's my wife gone? Like, what, what the heck has happened here? And I saw it in his eyes for a moment before he was then very supportive, and I was like, I, I, need, to, I need to do something else, don't I? I need to, like, go back to work or do something to, 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 to border my, my... My world has shrunk to chocolate flapjacks. And he's like, yeah. Yeah, it has, definitely. <laughs> but that's what happens sometimes when we become self-made. Our worlds shrink. 
Our worlds become tiny, and we were never meant to have tiny worlds. Because in Ecclesiastes, it tells us that God has placed eternity in the hearts of man, but he cannot fathom it. And you want to understand the meaning of you, you want to understand what you're about, then you've got to get into the body of Christ. You've got to find Jesus, because that's the only way you're going to make sense of the eternity that he's placed within you. Otherwise, you're going to set yourself small goals because you don't want to fail on reaching a big one. But you and I were never meant for small goals. We were meant to be part of the everyone, together achieving the goal that God's been set out for us in Ephesians 3. That through the church, through you, through me, the manifold, the multifaceted, the amazing wisdom of God would be made known to the rulers and authorities. That's our goal when we choose to be God-made rather than self-made. So we find our meaning in the body. The next would you rather... Would you rather cover up your weaknesses or focus on your strengths? Romans 12 carries on to say this. Each of us finds our meaning. Sounds like it's repeating itself, doesn't it? Each of us finds our meaning and function as part of his body. As a chopped off finger or a cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? So not only can we start to find our meaning in the body of Christ... This verse in Romans is saying that we can start to find our function. See, if we're going to be self-made individuals, then let me break this to you. You're not gifted in every single area of your life. There are certain areas in your life that you just don't have a gifting for it. We're not supposed to be well-rounded individuals, and yet the world tells us that we need to be good at everything. Now, you've got to hear me when I'm saying this. I'm not saying that we're not supposed to have well-rounded characters, that we're not supposed to be ethically well-rounded. I'm talking about skills and giftings. We're not supposed to be good at everything. But if we operate under the guise that we need to be self-made, then what we try and do is become a little body all of our own rather than being part of a big body. So what we try and do is make sure we've got the head and we've got the eyes and we've got the ears and we've got the feet. And we try and do it all because we're under the impression that it's all about me. It's all about us. So I have to be this fully formed, fully functional little body. But the truth is you've not been gifted to have two feet and two legs and two arms in your gifting sense. Obviously, most of you probably do have that. You're not supposed to be wired that way, but if you're living under the premise that you've got to get it all sorted yourself, then you're just going to be totally disillusioned and fed up all your life because you'll never make it. If I use me as an example, because that's always safe, isn't it, rather than picking out on people. I'll use me as an example. I have got an amazing sense of smell. Okay, I've never really found it to bless me that much, if I'm totally honest, particularly as I used to be a doctor. A sense of smell is not necessarily something that you really want as a doctor. It'd be quite nice to not be able to smell most of the time. Um, But I I can smell smells a mile off. Since I've had Brooke, I can smell a nappy almost before it's even happening. I've got a feeling, you know, and and, and I can smell. It's really awkward when you smell other people's children's nappies because you're kind of waiting for them to, you know, you don't want to accuse them of neglect. But, you know, anyway, there we go. There's all these things you learn when you become a parent. But I've got a great nose. What I haven't got, if I'm talking about physical stuff, is I'm not sporty. I was a real letdown in my family because I come from a really sporty family. My dad used to do boxing, play football for Swansea as a kid and all that kind of stuff. My brother did county rugby and county, um, I was going to say jumping, 
the one where you skip, triple jump, there we go. And I keep forgetting that one. That just shows how unsporty I am. And, and I was not remotely sporty. So for me, my physical stuff, I'm all about the nose. Okay, so if I'm going to be a self-made person, I've got to realize that basically I'm all about the nose. I haven't got any of the kind of stuff to run, hop, skip, jump, whatever. I haven't got that. My arms, I couldn't box or anything like that, but I've got a great nose. So here's what we do if we're going to be self-made. We try and cover up our weaknesses because we feel for some reason we've got to be well-rounded, we've got to be good at everything. So what we do is we say, well, I'm not good at any of that, so what do I do? I've just got to go with the one thing I'm good at and hope no one else notices the rest. So in any situation we're in, I'm going to talk to you about my nose. You know, you might want someone who could run or do all that kind of stuff. Well, I'm going to tell you, no, you think that's what you want, but let me tell you about how great my nose is. And we just bang on and on and on about our strengths because we're so insecure about the fact that we haven't got all of the other giftings. And what happens is we become these malformed um, little individual people that are overemphasizing certain things and trying to cover up another thing. And, and that's not how God created you to be. Because God might have created you with an amazing nose, but he didn't mean you to just be a nose. You don't have to get the rest covered. You know, you're not the fourth member of the Trinity. You you just have to put your nose into the body that God has already made for you. That's the church. And when you put your nose into that church, then you realize, I don't have to worry about the fact that I'm useless at sports because somebody else has got that covered. And maybe those people are just a pair of legs and thinking, I wish I had a good nose. Well, we should get together because I've got a good nose and you've got some good legs. This is a very, very bizarre illustration, I realize, but I hope you follow me in this. See, we spend our lives covering up our weaknesses because we're under the illusion and the delusion that we're supposed to have everything covered. We're not. We're not supposed to be well-rounded and gifting. When we look at the Bible, the Bible talks about gifting in many different aspects, and they're all very different. It talks about the gifting of administration, the gifting of hospitality, the gifting of tongues, gift of healing. In Ephesians 4.11, we see gift people to the church of pastors, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and I've already said that, teachers, apostles, and they're there to bless the church. It actually says that they're there for the common good. So hey, maybe me having a good sense of smell someday will bless the church. I've yet to see how it will, but hey, maybe it will. What are the giftings that you've got that are there to bless the church? You know, one of the biggest revelations that I've ever had in my life, a holy revelation, I kind of jest, but it's true was a few years ago when we were doing some staff training and I realized that there are some people in life that like policies. I just didn't understand this. I didn't realize they existed. People that genuinely love writing policies. You know, if you give them a policy to write, they're just like, oh yeah, let me get my teeth stuck into it. Oh, I could do an amazing table of contents for this one. I just didn't realize these people existed. And it was a complete revelation for me. And do you know what it was? It was actually massively liberating because I do not like writing policies. I have written policies, I have to write them sometimes. But no word of a lie, when I write a policy, I feel like I'm being like kind of pinned down on a desk with a computer in front of me and I feel like, Everything is being sapped out of my body whilst I'm writing this policy. I know it's a bit dramatic. But, that's what I've, but then there's other people that you talk to, and they absolutely love it. And I realized, why am I spending all my time trying to shore up the areas when I'm weak about? Because I think, oh, you know, it's not good that I don't enjoy writing policies. I should love writing policies because policies are good. I know they're good. I know we need them. But, oh, it's a fault with me. But when I realized, actually, it's about having a, 
an aspect of the body when we're thinking about these kind of things. And I realized there are people that love things that I don't because they're gifted differently. And here's the way Andy Stanley puts it. He says, your weaknesses are somebody else's opportunity. And if we're spending our whole time trying to cover up our weaknesses or trying to sort of focus on our weaknesses and not focusing on our strengths, then we rob people of an opportunity for their strength. And we're not focusing on the fact that we've got a really good nose and we can really do something for God with that. And the body's not blessed because actually what they're looking for is a great nose and what they're getting is you trying to be a mediocre foot when you really just aren't wired that way. So when we understand the body, we understand that we don't have to cover our weaknesses up. In fact, our weaknesses can be other people's opportunities and strengths. We've got to focus on what we're called to do and what our strengths are. And once we start pursuing our strengths, the whole of us, that everyone benefits for it. So would you rather cover up your weaknesses or would you rather focus on your strengths? Romans 4, again, it talks about the function. Not only do we find the meaning, we find the function within the body. I worked a bit of time on um, Papworth in the intensive care unit, and we did a lot of transplants there. You know, people would have a, a heart condition or a lung condition, and then, and then they would get a new set of lungs and a new set of heart, a new heart. And it was, it was an incredible kind of thing that people used to do. And the science behind keeping these lungs and these hearts alive outside of the body was just phenomenal, and it's still kind of cutting-edge medicine. The one thing that always used to strike me was when you see a heart or you see a lung on its own, it kind of just doesn't really look like anything. I mean, it could just look like something that you eventually could eat or, or just cook or something like that. It doesn't look like it has any kind of real purpose or meaning. But to the people that are receiving the lungs, to the people that are receiving the heart, you ask them what it means. You ask them what their function is. See, if an, an organ's not supposed to function outside of the body, and actually outside the body doesn't really look like it has a lot of meaning, it just looks like a mess. But when it's in the body and it's in the right place, the lungs can provide oxygen and fuel for everything that we do. The heart pumps the blood around. It starts to make sense and, uh, and the meaning starts to come uh, into the foreground when we understand that we're not supposed to function as an organ outside of things. We're supposed to be rooted in the body. That's where we find our meaning and function. The last thing I just want to mention to you is this. Would you rather be served or serve? Because if we're going to carry on looking at the body, then one of the things that you and I know about the body is that if we don't use something... We can lose it. That's what physios always say. If you don't use it, you'll lose it. So when people have had falls or things like that, if they don't get back up on their feet, then they tend to lose the ability to do things. If you've ever broken a limb or something, you'll realize when you put it in plaster for six, eight weeks that you take it out and your muscles have wasted away and your, your leg's way thinner than the other one. And it's because a healthy body and a healthy part of the body needs to be used. So when we say, would you rather be served or served? To be honest, our initial reaction is probably be served, obviously. But if we want to be healthy long term, then we've got to understand that we have to serve. We have to start doing something. We have to bring ourselves into the body and say, here's what I've got. Here's what I'm going to do. It's not about me. It's not about my selfish ambition. It's not about me wanting to be seen in a different way. It's just, I'm good at this. 
Okay, I'm not so good at that, but that's fine because I'm sure somebody else will be good at that. But here's what I'm great at. I'm great at connecting with people. I'm great at systems. I'm great at technology. I'm great at this. I'm great at that. We've got to be okay with what we're good at and we've got to bring it in and use it because if we don't use it, then we can lose it in the sense of just not being sharp in it, not being good in it. God's called us to be a good steward of the giftings that he's placed within us. The problem is because we have a self-made mindset, when we think about the church, we kind of limit things and we say, well, you know, I'm not as good as those there and I'm not as good as that there. And in Romans 12, it says, carries on to say this, since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed, marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, let's just go ahead and be what we're made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something that we aren't. See, what happens is we compare and we look around and we say, well, I'm not a hand, I'm just a foot. I'm not an eye, I'm just an ear. And it's interesting in that scripture at the beginning in Corinthians that um, the hand didn't compare itself with an eye. It compared itself with something that was similar to it. You can look at a hand and you can look at a foot and you can say, well, they're quite similar. There's five digits, there's four different um, directions that they can move um, and that they've got kind of, you know, similar look to it. But, but actually, they're, they're totally different. The function and their purpose is not the same. And if you're looking around and you're looking at other people and feeling inferior and less than, it's because you're not meant to function and have the purpose that they have. You're meant to find your own function and purpose. And absolutely everything in the church is interconnected. We need everybody to function well. Because how many of you know when one part of your body's not working, the other part of you just, the rest of you doesn't feel like you're working very well? If you break your hand, you feel rubbish about everything because you can't do half the stuff you want to do, even though the rest of you feels okay. Your hand is in the way. You and I, we've got a responsibility to the health of the body of Christ. We've got a responsibility to be as healthy as we possibly can be. And one of the things that we think about on, say, Sundays is that maybe this is the most important job on a Sunday, sharing on the platform. Or maybe you might think, oh, no, actually... If I was to think what the most important job is on a Sunday, I'd think maybe the worship pastor, you know, bringing people into the presence of God. But the truth is absolutely everything is important. And I want to tell you one of the things that I think is the most important thing. Hopefully Rob has taken the not-so-subtle cue. This, I think, is one of the most important roles that we have on Sunday mornings, okay? The most important role. Give a round of applause for Rob. So... We elevate certain things above other stuff. But when we look at the body and we look at being God-made, we realize that absolutely everything has value. That the bits that we're ashamed of, we, 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 we kind of um, give greater modesty to. The bits that are presentable, we don't do so much for. So the body doesn't say that there's better things or worse things. It says everything has value. So this is one of the most important jobs on a Sunday. It's cleaning the toilets. I really don't know what's with the blue chiffon. I, I didn't ask for blue chiffon. But as I said previously, I'm pleased it's not yellow. But, um, you know, there we go. There's the blue chiffon. But this is so important. And I'm not just saying this, but if you actually thought about what would happen if we never had our toilets cleaned, if you actually thought about what it would be like to have 1,000 people a week, 
maybe 52,000 a year people walking through this church, never having the bins emptied in the toilets, never having them cleaned. Let me tell you, it would not matter one jot if we had the best preacher in the world. It wouldn't matter if our worship leader was literally coming down from heaven. If the toilets were filthy, no one would come. The place would stink. We'd be shut down by health and safety and people wouldn't even get beyond the, 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 the um, fence at the front of the church. No one would want to come. See, we think certain things are more important and more valuable than others. But in the kingdom, we all need to be healthy. And so doing the, to- this is a new toilet, okay? This is a clean toilet, don't worry. Doing the toilets, doing the rigging, doing the things behind the scenes, it is just as valuable and it's just as vital to this health of this church as me standing up here chatting away. We've got to shift our mindset and realize that you are valuable in the body of Christ because if you're not healthy, I'm not going to be healthy. And when you're healthy, I'm healthy. The other week, we had 80 youth on Friday night, and 30 responded to Jesus. 30 people responded to Jesus. That's incredible. That's incredible. Do you know what's even more incredible? Is that you cleaning the toilets, being on Connect Team, being in the AV team, because we're all a body, we get to share in that. We get to share in that. That's part of when we go to heaven and those people are in heaven, we've been a share taker in that. You know, we, we can say, actually, I serve that church. That's my body. Because the youth's healthy, I got healthy. We're all one body. We need to move away from this thinking of things as, uh, us as little self-made people trying to push our way on in God. We're all one body. And that's why the people that clean the toilets, the WOW team, who I'm sure are looking for recruits, and the WOW team are just as valuable to us as people standing up on the stage, people singing, doing really technical things. Because without them, I tell you, we'd be lost. Without you, this church is not going to be the same because you're uniquely gifted. God's put some things into you that we need. He's knitted us together as a body and he said, you know what, I'm going to bring you and you're a great ear and and you're a great eye and and you're a great foot and, and he's knitted us together. And that's why I asked you to turn around to people and say, you're my everyone. Because right around here is a healthy body, I believe. And as we heard in Ephesians, it's through us, through the church, that the wisdom of God could be made known. So I'm just going to ask the band to come up for me. And I'm just going to give you a moment after we've sung this song to, to just think about where you're at right now. The question, would you rather be self-made or God-made, is a massive one. And it's one that we're going to need to keep coming back. Because we live in a culture that will push us towards being full of selfish ambition and full of kind of self-promotion. You know, often I feel that's, that's what social media often is, isn't it? It's a... It's a PR machine that we've got used for ourselves. And who are we and what are we all about? Well, the Bible tells us that if we want to find out who we are, if we want to find out the true meaning, if we want to understand the eternity that's been put within us, then we've got to do that in the context of the body, of the church, of the power of everyone. And maybe you're here today and you would say you're a Christian. But if you're honest, there's aspects of your life where you've been trying to do it yourself and you've been under a stress and a strain because you're trying to be everything. God's like, I've not called you to be everything. I've just called you to be really great at these things. I want to pray for you that you might feel some freedom from that. Maybe some of you are not serving. If you don't serve, you're just going to become 
fat and you're just going to become unhealthy because God made you to serve. Jesus in Matthew 28, it says, the Son of Man has not come to, to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That's Jesus' model. You and I, as my dad always used to say to me, are never more like Jesus than when you serve. Maybe God's just stirring you to serve. Or maybe you have lived your life as a self-made person. And maybe today, as we've had in the 9.30 service, people realise that they want it to be God-made. That they didn't want to strive and live for small goals. That they wanted to be part of something bigger. I'm going to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Maybe for the first time, or maybe you've wandered away and you realise, I need to come back. We're going to sing this song and then I'm going to pray with you and we'll take things from there. Why don't you stand and let this band lead us in worship?